Hey everyone, welcome to the very first episode of the Good Lion Podcast. I'm Aaron Salvato, and this is the official podcast of the Good Lion Podcast Network. We're a collective of Christian podcasters and creatives, and this show is going to be where we bring all of those people together from across our network to collaborate on solid Jesus-focused content for all of you. We're going to have all sorts of exciting stuff on this show, interviews, mini-series, theological discussions. It's going to be a mixed bag, but our hope is that you'll be blessed by what you find inside. For the first episode, I decided to do an interview with my friend Ben Corson. He's recently gone through some tragedy and loss in his family, but the hope that he brings in light of that suffering is something that I find really inspiring, and I think you will too. So with that, let's go to the interview. Good Line Podcast. I'm here with my friend Ben Corson. Hey, Ben. Aaron, I love you, dude. I'm so glad we're doing this again, homie. Me too. We gotta we gotta keep doing this. This is fun. He was just on our uh, Ask a Youth Pastor podcast, and now he's on the Good Lion Podcast. Welcome, dude. I love the name. Aslan is not a safe lion or a tame lion, but he's a good lion. Yes, exactly. Well, I know our time is short, so I think let's just jump right into it. Um, I think many people know, but not everyone knows exactly what's been going on with your life. So maybe you could just kind of fill us in on some details of what's been happening with you. Well, yeah, dude, um, people who know my story, they are aware that, you know, my sister went to heaven when she was 16. And in the past couple weeks, my brother went to heaven as well. Hmm. And uh, it's just been a crazy time for our family. They, they say that our family as the course and curse, you know, hmm. where you have like the Kennedy curse where JFK wasn't supposed to be president. It was Joe senior was the telling one, but he died in a plane crash. Then JFK, the charming one became president and was assassinated in Dallas. His last words were see how Dallas loves us. And then he got shot. Hmm. And then the smart one, Bobby took his place on the campaign trail and then he got assassinated. And then the last remaining uh, male heir to the, presidential throne as it were was Teddy and he accidentally drove a girl off a bridge at Chapitiquich and she suffocated to death and it was a tragedy and uh, he couldn't become president after that he became the line that ascended instead and I think people say that with our family you know like maybe we have the course and curse which is just a whole lot of bad luck as far as you know my my dad's wife dying in a car accident my brother and sister going you know passing away and um also, I went through suicidal depression for 10 years, went through a romantic heartbreak two years ago. That was like one of the most devastating emotional things in my life. And yeah. so now going through this with my brother, it's it's been heavy, dude. So that's kind of been what's going on. But I do not believe we have a curse. I believe that Jesus said in the world, you will have tribulation and that that's true. Amen. But we can also be of good cheer because he's overcome the world. And I genuinely believe that what Jesus said is true that he who believes on him who had sent me has passed from death into life. Just like in quantum theory, how information is indestructible, like atomic information can change shape, but it can't be destroyed. So too, like energy and matter, we come from a God who cannot be created. Therefore, it stands to reason that we cannot be destroyed. So I believe that we're more than the sum of our noble parts, just like a novel is more than its words or a song is more than the sum of its vibrations. So too, I believe uh, we have a soul more than the sum of our noble parts and uh, we're going to live forever. And that's where my hope is regarding what happened with my brother. That's amazing, man. I, I, I want to ask you because I feel like I feel like you're the kind of guy where your DNA is basically joy. You're 
honestly one of the most positive people I've ever met. And uh, I think a lot of that, your dad had that as well, but I just see it so much in you. And it's not like it's your personal brand or anything. It's That's just literally who you are. Like you, you're full of joy. Mike, I would just want to ask you in dealing with situations like this, how do you balance the call to joy and the commitment to joy, but then also processing sadness and grief? Like how do you deal with that? Yeah, dude, I believe that you have to sit in the ashes and sit with the pain, but you can't stay there. So Job Mm. sat in the ashes for 10 days, but then he got up. And I think a phoenix must burn to emerge. And that tragedy should be our teacher and our undertaker. Mm. And I believe that what Paul said is true, that, you know, we glory in tribulation because tribulation produces patience, patience, experience, experience, hope, and hope never make it to shame because the love of God spread abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. So mm. I'm a firm advocate for the reality that pain makes us stronger, tears make us braver, heartbreak makes us wiser, yeah. so we can make our past for a better future. Yes. So I do think we have to assimilate and process it, but I think morbidly staying there is unhealthy, obviously, psychologically. And we need to say, okay, now it's time to count it all joy. Now it's time to be a Navy SEAL, dude. Like one of my friends is Chad Williams, he's a Navy SEAL. And I love talking to him because you don't get, I don't want pity from him. Hmm. Like what I want is, is somebody to say, you know, good times. I'm solid, you know, like endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And I think the way to process it and keep remaining joyful is to look at life, not just as a cruise ship, but a battleship. And we're going to war. That's so good, C.S. man. Lewis, C.S. Lewis called it the gaiety of battle, which mm. meant in his time the joyfulness of battle. It's not like joy and battle are antonyms or antithetical notions to one another. They're not like matter and antimatter and cancel each other out. You can actually have joy in battle. Navy SEALs love it. And I think for me, like I'm looking at this, this life as a battle, but it's one that I can be joyful in because it gives me the chance for nobility and the chance for heroics. That's what it gives all of us because pain either has the power to break us or it is the power that makes us unbreakable. What it is depends on whether we react or respond. And I want to respond and never be reactionary. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, absolutely. I I think there's a lot of people out there who your story is impacting them in a huge way. I I know I personally am one of them. Um, For for me, I suffered um, just a few months ago, my cousin, Tony, who was like a brother to me, um, died in a car accident. And it was just something that was so, it just broke all my categories for grief and loss. Like I thought I understood it. Um, I I had an aunt who passed away from cancer, but that was something that I was able to prepare for. Um, When Tony died, I had no preparation for it. And um, I, I was asked to speak to the youth at my church uh, to come back home from Oklahoma to come to California to um, preach to the the middle school kids and the high school kids because he was a volunteer in the group. And uh, the text I had was, you know, the story of Lazarus. And just as I'm going through the story, it hit me in so many new ways that just, it's like, you know, you think about it when you're prepping for a message, but if you haven't actually experienced it yourself, you know, it's completely different. So when I got to that verse, um, Verse 21, you know, in uh, John 11, where Jesus or where Martha says to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That just like it just hit me and it it brought me to this place of questioning, you know, where I'm I, 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 I flew back home and I was very focused on taking care of the rest of the people in my family. Um, So just very much trying to be a caretaker. 
But when I finally hit the pillow at night, that's when the tears just started coming. And I was just like, why God, you know, why did you let this happen? Cause there, there is a part where it's like, you know, you realize that God could stop it, you know? And how have you dealt with that? Dude, that's a beautiful uh, story and how you shared it. It's, it's achingly beautiful, I should say. It has that, that ring of tragedy in it, dude. And like, for me, I do break down in a, a lot over the past few weeks. Mm-hmm. Like, there's just, there's just no way around that. But I love this passage in Psalm 56, where it says the Lord has collected all my tears in his bottle. Mm-hmm. Behold, are they not all in his book? And in ancient Jewish culture, women would collect their tears in tear bottles and then give it to their husband. Mm-hmm. And uh, their tears of sadness and gladness, they collected in a tear bottle. It was one of the most precious possessions. I love how in all four gospels, story of a woman who washed Jesus' feet with her with her hair perfume and tears. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it, it, one scholar suggests, that scholar being my dad, that like the tear bottle, uh, she was using her tear bottle and pouring it on Jesus. And so she was washing Jesus' feet with her tear bottle. Hmm. And if that's the case, she was declaring that she was the bride of Christ. Wow. And, uh, you know, because women would give their tear bottle to their husband when they got married. So I just think, like, the way that I deal with that stuff is I'm not afraid to cry because I know that my tears are not lost on God. They're caught by God. He collects them in his bottle, and as the bride of Christ, I know he's going to take really good care of my heart. Yeah, absolutely, dude, so good. I mean, it just—I mean—it reminds me of that movie. Uh, did you see that Pixar movie, Inside Out? Uh, no, I didn't. But I, isn't that the emotions movie with like Mindy Kaling and all those people? Oh, I didn't see it. I just okay. know about it. Oh yeah, man, you got to see it. It's—it's it's so epic. It's like you've got all these characters that are representative of emotions. You've got joy, anger, sadness, disgust, fear. And joy is like the dominant emotion um, played by Amy Poehler. And uh, it, it joy is so controlling. Like joy's perspective is basically like the only important emotion is joy and everything else is just a waste. And, you know, the, the joy emotion is just trying to keep its human happy even though that human, uh, this little girl is going through a lot of pain. She just moved to a new place and she feels like an outcast and her parents are fighting and all this stuff. And so it's the story of how joy has to actually learn that sadness is an important emotion too. Um, there's this character of sadness that's constantly trying to let the kid feel sad and joy just is fighting it at every point. But in the end, joy learns and sees that sadness is actually helpful. Like sadness can be something that when we humans go through it, 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 it ends up being something that helps us. And the, the moral message of the movie is just like, sadness is a necessary part of existence. It's actually emotion. And it's an emotion that God's allowed us to have because we process things through it. And we can actually become closer to him in our lament and mourning. And I mean, I I just think it's a powerful thing. Um, In when I was going through the story of Lazarus, there was a verse that stuck out to me that made me think, I I came back to it and it made me think of your situation with your brother, Peter John. Um, In in John 11, four, it says, when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. What does a verse like that mean to you? Uh, yeah, that's powerful. I believe that our hardship is a platform for God to display his power. Hmm. 
to take what the enemy means for evil and redeem it for good. Did I ever tell you about Job saying, blessed, you know, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, blessed be his name? Did I ever talk to you about that? Possibly, but why don't you go go over yeah. it again? Yeah, like I think it's what Job went through when, when you know, the famous story of the Sabian raiders making all his possessions, his children dying in a whirlwind, yeah. and uh, his health creating boils on his skin with a, with a pot shirt, a piece of pottery. What's crazy about that story is a whirlwind killed his kids at the beginning of the story, yeah. but at the end of the story, God spoke out of a whirlwind. Hmm. So in the place where we suffer most painfully, that's where God speaks the most powerfully. Hmm. And, and the, the reality is, dude, it's like, when you look at the story of Job, he said the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And I get into trouble for this, but I don't really care anymore. <laughs> uh, basically, yeah. when, when, when he said the Lord gives, and the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord, God didn't say that, Job did. And hmm. Job was talking to his wife. Like he, he, we were eavesdropping on a conversation Job had with his wife, and so we made a popular song out of it. And it's like one of the most famous verses in the in the Old Testament. Hmm. And I would argue that although Job didn't sin with his lips and he was noble, didn't God correct him at the end of the book for all his bad theology? Like he's like, where where were you when I made Leviathan and Behemoth and the foundations of the earth? Yeah, and right. uh, and so so if you read the story of Job. Actually, that verse. That, that where Job's talking to his wife, Job wasn't corrupt. It's not the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Who took away? In the story, it was the, the Satan character. Mm. It was the devil, the evil force in the story. You know, in the story, it was the devil who killed his kids, took his possessions, and took his... Yes. Not God. So yes. the, te- the technically correct thing would have been to say, the Lord gives, the enemy takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord, because he'll make the enemy pay. Yeah. Although my trouble doubles, I'll be double for my trouble. Yes. This is after I says, you know, turn to the stronghold as a prisoner of hope. The Lord will restore double to you even this day. So all of which to say, dude, I think like if we attribute the work of the enemy to God, we're going to have a very, very difficult time understanding life. If we think God killed people and it, it, Jesus, Jesus said, Jesus said the enemy has come to kill, steal and destroy. But mm. I have come that you might have life. So if you're attributing killing, stealing, and destroying to God, Jesus says, no, that's the work of the thief. When do we see Jesus killing people or giving people sickness to teach them a lesson? Yeah. No, Jesus is healing people and telling people to turn the other cheek. So, And he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So I think we have to be careful that we don't attribute the work of the enemy to God. Killing, stealing, and destroying is from the thief. Life abundantly is from the Lord. And knowing that dichotomy makes it far easier to worship God because that way we know he's good. Not all things are good, but we know all things work together for the good because truly God is good and what the enemy means for evil, that's what the Lord then redeems and turns for our good. And that's why we can have peace in the pain. Amen, man. That's that's so good. It it reminds me so much of, have you ever read any of uh, Joshua Ryan Butler's books? I don't even know who that is. (laughs) He's this crazy, amazing author over in Portland, one of those Portland guys. But he wrote a book called The Skeletons in God's Closet, and it's just addressing issues that people often call God out on as basically saying, hey, God, this is a skeleton in your closet. And it's, it reframes those questions in a biblical way. And he talks about death in it. And he's saying, there's a reason why death feels so wrong. It's because it is wrong. Like it was never a part of God's original design. It was never a part of God's intention. Um, when that snake slithered into the garden, it was basically this channel that was introducing the concepts of sin and death into the universe. And 
death and sin are unwanted aliens in the, our, our world. They were never intended to be there. And uh, that's why I love what the scriptures say. I'm, I'm not sure what the passage is. I think it's in Corinthians, but I remember the verse says something like, um, he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be defeated is death. And I don't know if you know, but like Harry Potter stole that line. They put it on a tombstone. The last enemy to be defeated is death, but it's from the scriptures. And I think it's so oh, powerful. Yes, I've, I've read through that. I've read through all the Harry Potters twice. So yeah. Again, yeah. Sick. Yeah. It's, 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 death is an enemy. And so knowing how God feels about it to me is so powerful. Knowing that God's not like, oh, it's the way of the world. It's just life. It just happens. No, Jesus is waging a war on death. He hates death. And, and in the end, there will be no more death and pain. Yes, yes. Dude, I believe it. I believe it. That's powerful. Mm. And if it's in Harry Potter, you know it's Bibi. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. Um, I, uh, I was thinking about my cousin, Tony, and... Um, you know, when he was a kid, um, him and I, I'd babysit him. You know, I'm, I don't know how many years older I am than him, probably six or seven years or something like that. Um, but I would babysit him when he was really young and we'd play with action figures and he would always win because he always declared that he had a force field. Like any time that I would get the upper hand on him, he would just yell force field. And I couldn't do anything because he would have an impenetrable force field. And when he passed away, I thought of that story and it just gave me so much comfort to know that he did actually have a force field in Jesus. Like he had, in, it's, it's what Levi Lesko says, he had a bulletproof soul, you know? Yeah, yeah, so powerful, dude. And the Bible says God has swallowed up death and victory. The word victory is Nike in Greek. It was used of the Greek goddess in mythology of triumph. And Paul literally co-ops the word and says, actually, God's the one who swallows up death and victory in Nike. And actually, you know, Song of Solomon says many waters cannot quench love. Mm. You can't kill love. Love is immortal. It's indestructible. It's one of the great philosophical, metaphysical apologies and arguments for the immortality of the soul among philosophers because there's no social utility, Darwinian explanation or evolutionary principle that can, like, explicate or explain why we love in the present, those who've died in the past. And so that's why some people think love exists in a different dimension. Wow. If you really believe in string theory, because, you know, why do we love those who've already died? Evolution can't explain that. It doesn't help survival of the fittest or your tribe. Hmm. If, if you love in the present, somebody's died in the past. And that's because Song of Solomon says, many waters cannot quench love. And, you know, that's the reality hmm. of the immortality. Of the <laughs> that's soul. beautiful. That's really powerful. Um, I mean, we, we have such a gift, man, that we have this hope in Christ that this this hope that like pierces the darkness of death. Like I'm so grateful for it. And it's something that's really helped me cope with everything that I've gone through recently. Um, I mean, I wanna read you this quote. This is this is like a secular perspective on death. And I'd, I'd love to get your answer to it because there might be people listening to this who don't have that hope that we have. And so this is, this is like a secular perspective. I, I'm not sure where this quote comes from. I found it online, so I don't know who the person to attribute it to is, but it says, um, death is a constant reminder of our inability to control our humanness and we don't like it. So we have disguised the effects of aging. We can get extensive cosmetic surgery, get Botox, hide the fact that we're getting older. We can delay death through amazing advancements in medical sciences, but we can never actually defeat death. 
Our achievements and successes don't matter. As we walk through life, death is an insistent voice in our ear constantly saying to us, I'll get you in the end, you're mine. I mean, for, for someone who doesn't have Christ, that's, that's sort of the perspective they're in. What, I mean, what would you say to someone dealing with those thoughts? Yeah, dude, that's so powerful. I mean, I think we live in this world where uh, people are so afraid of aging, but I think the interesting thing is, like, I don't want to age, but I think that's because Jesus said the greatest in his, in his kingdom are children. Hmm. Uh, children laugh like 200 to 400 times a day, whereas adults laugh 13 to 70 times a day, 17 times a day. So, like, the older we get, the less joy we're having. And so I think we need a little bit more Peter pandemonium chaos in our world. I know I've your youth group years ago, but just have such a heart to see our generation realizing that we can have childlike faith, even in the midst of death, like, because the Bible says death has been swallowed up in victory. Mm. And the the, the interesting thing is, why is, why do we always change the personal pronoun when a team wins or loses uh, based on our association with it? So my favorite team is the Golden State Warriors. When the Warriors win, I say we won. When the Warriors lose, I say they lost. I change the personal pronoun from we to they because I love to associate with winners and be in the winner's circle. And God put that desire in me. He put that desire in us to associate with victory because with that's where we name drop, for example, because we love to be uh, in the we love to be in the context and categories of victors. Hmm. And so, because God's never lost a battle, because He has swallowed up death and victory. He wants us to associate with him. That's why he puts that personal pronoun from we today when it comes to the winner's circle in our own psyche and subliminal subconscious. Wow. And it coughs it up in those moments. So I just think that we have this childlike faith, this hope, this joy that holds up the face of death because um, eternity, the Bible says, has been put in our hearts. Ecclesiastes mm. says he has put eternity in our hearts. Eternity is hardwired into us. And the wild thing is, is most humans believe in an in the afterlife science validates that so even in secularized cultures where belief in god is relatively low and atheism is high people tend to believe in an afterlife or some form of consciousness after death mm. and that's because god has put eternity in our hearts he's hardwired eternity into us and uh god doesn't put that desire there to frustrate us he puts desires in our hearts to fulfill us mm. and so that's why we have hope beyond the grave that's so good man Dude, thank you so much for being here and being a part of the show. Uh, I know that you'd, I know you got to go. I know you have some other stuff going on today, but I just really appreciate this time and you being open to talk about this stuff. And uh, it just means the world to me. So thank you so much, Ben. Thank you, dude. I love you so much. I appreciate you. And I can't wait to max and send it with you soon, dude. Yeah, man. Let's do this again. ASAP. Okay. Sounds good. I love you, Aaron. I'm rooting you on, homie. You too, man. God bless. Love you. Love you. Peace. Peace. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the Good Line Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes, share this episode on social media. We'd really appreciate it. If you want to hear more from Ben Corson, check out bencorson.com for lots of great messages and resources. And if you're interested, there's actually a recording of Ben speaking at his own brother's memorial service. I'm going to put it in the show notes for this episode. You can find that at goodlion.io. 
I'm also going to put in the show notes the sermon that Ben taught at my youth group back when I was a youth pastor at Calvary Vista called the Peter Pandemonium Kingdom. He references it in the show, so I'll put in the notes if you want to listen to that. And finally, to close us out, here's a song from Josh White. I picked this song because it's an old hymn that Josh modernized, and it's a hymn called I Love My God. And in the lyrics, it talks about how my life is as nothing because I'm called to be emptied and swallowed up in Jesus. And in this interview, Ben talked about how we think of death as something that swallows us up, but the reality is our lives should be emptied in Jesus. That's the difference. Without Christ, all we have is death and death swallows us up. But with Jesus, we're allowed to die to ourselves and empty our lives into Christ. And through that, we're reborn. We we're, we become new creations. And so this song just means a lot to me, especially with everything going on. So I thought it might bless you. So take it away, Josh. I love my God, but with no love of mine, for I have none to give. I love thee, Lord, but all the love is thine, for by thy life I live. And I am as nothing I rejoice to be emptied and swallowed up in thee Thou Lord alone art all thy children need and there is none beside from thee the streams of blessedness proceed in thee the blessed abide Fountain of life And all abounding grace Our source, center and our dwelling place Oh my God.